Take a deep breath in. Just feel your shoulders relaxing, your heart opening a bit. <laughs> Any laughter? We're laughing because this is the first podcast we're doing, and it's a total experiment. Mm. This is a an adventure in the Evo Leap experiment and change. This is an adventure in uh, what change really looks like, feels like, sounds like. Mm-hmm. Here to explore how to catalyze a regenerative culture. Mm. You might be listening because you're passionate about creating change. You're curious about new ways of operating. We're here with the amazing Daniel Pinchbeck. Yay. Yay. Mm. Skylar Brown. Daniela Platner. Mm-hmm. Hey, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we thought we would start with talking a little bit about maybe the, uh, the story of Evo Leap uh, and how we got to this point and how we're kind of conceiving of this uh, podcast as almost like a web journal mm-hmm. um, exploring our own process, uh, which is to kind of enter the, the, the world of, of corporations and NGOs and essentially municipalities, political groups, whoever will, will, will have us to their table and work with these different organizations on charting kind of a path that could lead to a more regenerative society. Uh, we're kind of looking at this idea of regenerative society or, or regenerative culture as a motif or an ideal or an archetype that, that, that we'd like to see established. Skylar, maybe you want to start and tell us a little bit how you got to this point and, and what your thoughts are. Sure. Um, so, well, I am a futurist by trade, a trend spotter, you know, someone who has for decades predicted trends mainly in the corporate arena. So from a marketing perspective, um, I've provided the insights to sell goods. And about eight years ago, that became um, just spiritually, personally untenable. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, but... I recognized, you know, I still had the skill with uh, vision. And so I left the corporate world. I left the big advertising agency where I was, and I struck out on my own um, and have carved a niche or found a path in um, helping corporations come to a higher calling to broaden their vision. And, um, and it's like over the years, I feel like the path is just getting or my own journey, I'm just becoming, uh, is becoming more clear to me what needs to happen. And Daniel, so many of the ideas you articulate just like really strike a chord with me. Um, and so, you know, all those years I spent in corporate America and strategizing at the top tiers of corporate America are serving us very well because, um, we have, we have an entree, we have an audience. Um, and now we're figuring out what to bring to them to sort of change the game within the system.
Um, just very quickly, my background is I wrote a few books. I wrote a book about uh, my first book. I'd been working as a journalist for the New York Times Magazine, other places. I got also had a kind of spiritual crisis in my late 20s, kind of what you described, Skylar, mm-hmm. that happened to you a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. At that point, I went looking for meaning, mm-hmm. uh, for spirituality, I guess, in a sense. Though I, did, I was a secular scientific materialist. Um, that led me to shamanism, to the psychedelic experience, to tribal groups in Africa and the Amazon and Mexico. I then wrote a book about... Um, prophecies that cultures have and got very you know focused on the ecological situation as part of these prophecies and also uh something that could be an opportunity for for a kind of collective initiation on the part of humanity and i started a company evolver i made a documentary kind of looking at all these solution-based approaches and started a think tank um anyway and, and tried all these different avenues. And, and then when we started talking uh, last year, uh, it was really this very interesting idea of trying from the inside out, going into these large corporations, seeing what kind of awakening they're already undergoing and what, what kind of new ideas you can inspire mm-hmm. with them. And, you know, because they already have these incredible tools and incredible uh, communities mm-hmm. of, of people who are so brilliant in so many ways. If all of that genius could just be repurposed or redirected a little bit, um, we could really make profound shifts uh, in a hurry. Evil Leap's primary goal Mm -hmm. is to explore with leading minds Mm -hmm. how to create a regenerative culture. So, regenerative, what does that mean to you, Daniel? So, I mean, the the catch word over the last years has been sustainability. I mean, if you're interested in this whole area of, of you know keeping everything going, um, I don't I don't think sustainability is ultimately a very powerful concept. I mean, because it suggests kind of like life support or something, you know, like being sustained in like an iron lung or something. So, and. and um, yeah, so I think like uh, beyond sustainability with, this, like, with the idea of being a really regenerative design, uh, whereas you know nature is totally regenerative, so it just keeps producing more and more and more variety and, and evolving different different parameters. Mm-hmm. That's the type of culture that would be you know like a really flourishing mm-hmm. global culture, and um, and then we can sort of think about what that would take. Um, this was some of the work that I did with my think tank last year, you know, in different areas, whether it's the technical infrastructure part of it, which includes like energy, transport, agriculture, whether it's the political and economic system, how that would have to change, that that technical infrastructure could change at all those different levels. Uh, and then also communications, culture, consciousness, media, how those would have to, those areas would have to evolve to support the other two uh, levels of change. Mm-hmm. You know. It's a systemic turnaround. Systemic turnaround. Within or a systemic metamorphosis, revolution. Mm-hmm. You know. I like the term metamorphosis a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels very accurate to me. What scares me the most is, is that we're already going into ecological overshoot and we might see a kind of, you know, planetary heart attack in the same way that people have an heart attack because of all these different factors, you know, how they live, they're not getting exercise, smoking. It's like, we've kind of like, we, you know, the, the planet's been treated like that in a way, like, like, you know, um, and uh, we're reducing biodiversity and we're, you know, polluting the, 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 the atmosphere with CO2. 
So we're really at reaching an edge state ar around that. And the next few years, by all accounts, uh, are totally critical. I mean, the last few years would have been critical, but we didn't do what needed to be done. So that's that's what scares me. And what scares me is that as we go into that, uh, you know, an era, a time when resources are going to become more and more difficult, and I feel like the drought in California is like a big indicator of all these things that are to come, um, that people are going to retrench and become more regressive and kind of... People with resources are going to try to create little mini utopias for for themselves in exotic locations in New Zealand, or if, you know, I mean, I've already seen that happening, or whatever mountains or tops, or whatever. Whereas, you know, whereas what really needs to happen is a kind of breakthrough to like a new level of consciousness and cooperation. And um, yeah, so I, I mean, so what excites me most is once again that we can really see that opportunity to. Um, you know, create a breakthrough to a new political economic structure in a way, ultimately, but in, in, the, in the shorter term, into a realization that, you know, they're, they're, we're all in this together, that, that we can actually cooperate to for everybody's highest advantage. I mean, a big inspiration for me is Buckminster Fuller and his work, particularly a book he wrote called Utopia or Oblivion, where he really saw that humanity would either learn to work together to make sure that everybody had a decent existence or none of us, you know, would, would, would survive uh, here for long. And what do you feel needs to change uh, most significantly? I mean, personally, consciousness. You know, I really do. I mean, that's my own personal experience. Like, the more I changed inwardly, the more my perspective broadened and the more myself I brought to the table um, and my my vision, my ability to see things from a more systematic perspective increased. Um, uh, I, I'm with you. Like, the current system is broken in so many ways, um, and I feel like communication is going to be one piece of the puzzle, all of us learning to communicate more clearly and more consciously with each other is going to be a part of uh, rebuilding when the thing falls apart. Because so it's a really exciting opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing. It seems like um, there's a lot of fear around maybe the ecological situation, and obviously that's justified. And, you know, the, I mean, it's sad to think also that so many people, you know, could really be hurt or, or even perish because of our you know, the way we've treated the planet. However, you know, I think we could, on the other side, sort of look at it almost like, you know, Mission Impossible or one of those mm -hmm. great adventure films like Lord of the Rings or something where we actually have this incredible <laughs> opportunity to, to, yeah. to change, you know, for the better how people live and how they think about uh, their world. Opportunity to, to, to change. Opportunity to, to, to change. Opportunity to, to, to change. Opportunity to, to, to change their world. What fascinates me about this opportunity is the incredible amount of power that corporations have access to and have <laughs> influence over and, um, and bringing in more consciousness since we're using that kind of vocabulary, which has so many different meanings. And I'm curious to unravel with you guys more at another point. But bringing in an awakening, bringing in fresh thinking, new perspectives. I mean, we were brought in as disruptors, essentially, to Facebook, for example, which was... But yeah, just to point out what happened there. We, a mm -hmm. month ago, we helped organize a two-day summit at Facebook headquarters in Palo Alto with a number of executives from Facebook and uh, people from various NGOs, nonprofits, including 
350.org and um, who else do we have there? Here, uh, Solutions Project, Rainforest uh, Action Network, Rainforest Action Network, Greenpeace, Instagram, Sierra Club. Right, Inst- and on the corporate side, we had some people from Instagram popping in, and and uh, the. Uh, Oculus Rift and so on. So it was very exciting, and we have a whole bunch of ongoing projects uh, from that, which we'll be talking about in future uh, Evo Leaps. Mm-hmm. But to uh, actually to go back, I mean, I think unpacking the whole idea of consciousness is yeah. a really valuable mm-hmm. thing to do. Um, and I've actually thought about this a lot because it almost becomes a stale term after a while. Like you hear yeah. like Deepak Chopra or whatever. Deepak, they use it over and over again, and it just yeah. becomes like another. Has like you know, you know. So I'm curious what you. What well, you, I was just gonna say it. It does become a stale term in that sphere in the Deepak Chopra world. But I, all, I sometimes use consciousness, um, consciously, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the corporate setting because it has. It was stigmatized. It was. It was a, something you didn't talk about. You'd right. never bring the idea of consciousness into the corporate setting. So sometimes I've felt for a couple years now like it was my job to talk about mm-hmm. conscious communication openly and invite. Right. questions about it. Mm-hmm. So I think in that setting, it's not stale yet, though it right. could, you know. Although there is a difference in saying consciousness versus, versus conscious, like conscious capitalism. Yeah, that's true. So it seems like it has a number of different elements to it. I yeah. mean, one is, I think the way we use it, we also actually mean something that's often referred to as wisdom, hmm. right? Like con- consciousness is being wiser about our relationship to the world, to, to, the, to the present moment, to the past, mm. like seeing that we have a duty to protect and be responsible for our actions and not be so destructive. And then it also seems like, uh, and you know, it's very interesting because people can be very conscious in some areas of their lives mm. and in some of their behaviors and then totally unconscious in others. So you can see people are like these complicated tapestries and organizations are kind of like that also. Mm. A- another element of consciousness seems to be uh, spontaneity, like being more present, more innovative, more accepting, more able to move with the flow of a situation. Uh, the, we, we think that the person who has the you know, largest, or the, the most developed consciousness in a room or a situation is the person who has the most freedom of action. They're less bound or tethered by what hold most people in, into like certain conscripted forms of behavior, while they're also wiser because they have a wider understanding of everything that led to that scenario and that's how I think about it anyway so I'm curious because I grew up going to socially responsible business conferences with my parents and that world of you know from the body shop to you know even Ben and Jerry's looking Mm -hmm. at more triple bottom line and um, and then there's corporate social responsibility CSR how is this regenerative systemic shift within companies different from other conversations around triple bottom line CSR. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? I can I can address that yeah. maybe. That's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I was, I have been involved with the New York chapter of Conscious Capitalism for a while, and, um, and for me, what's different and complementary about what we're doing with Evoleap is that it pushes things further, in my opinion, than any of those other movements have uh, are daring to push. So, mm. I mean, I think things are wide open for us with Evoleap in a way where conscious capitalism still seeks to preserve capitalism. Um, I'm not sure, you know, that, that, that may not be the answer. So um, for Evoleap to me, and I've been inside a lot of big businesses, of big big corporations. 
um, and have worked with top-tier consultants, I feel like we're pushing things further than they have been pushed before. before. Um, and while that sounds maybe a little, maybe it's a little nervous making, um, you know, if I was sitting, you know, sitting within a corporation, that might be something that would make me a little nervous, but I hope it makes a few people nervous in a good way because, um, the urgency of the situation is real. Like we don't have time to just dip our toe in the water. So I think it's now's the time to invite more, Radical. I'm really trying not to say radical, but mm-hmm. radical thinking into the inside of big business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see you holding your hand on your heart. I am. A lot of what you're saying. I am. I really feel like it. Now's the time. We need a kind of referendum on the, the direction of our civilization, mm-hmm. you know, which is over the last hundreds of years has been this idea of progress, material progress, technological progress, and that's become a very powerful belief system for people all around the world. And obviously, we have seen tremendous, you know, benefits for people, but also tremendous cost. Mm-hmm. And um, and and we're seeing also that, unfortunately, the benefits have come at a tremendous environmental costs. So, you know, the estimates are 150 to 200 species are going extinct per day now, uh, 8 million total species roughly on the planet. So that means within, if you do the math, between 100 to 150 years, there'd be no species left, which obviously can't happen. Um, you know, we're looking at um, predict- predictions from scientists of 3.5 to 6 degree temperature rise by 2100. And at 4 degrees Celsius temperature, warmer than now, uh, we're in a situation of total chaos and tailspin and catastrophe. And even that four degrees wouldn't be a stable. That would, that would be a, a, a kind of transition to an eight to 10 degrees Celsius rise based on what they've learned about from past epochs of climate change. So once it gets past a certain point, it just takes off. So, you know, we need to find the courage and um, the will to have very deep and, and rather quick conversations about the future direction of, of what we're doing on the planet as, as a species, really, you know, as a, as, a, as, a, as, you know, as a federation of nations, as a federation of corporations, uh, as a federation of minds, you know, and, and we, nothing's stopping us from doing that. I mean, we have the technology, we have communications technologies that would allow us to the whole the whole population of the world to kind of speak to each other in a way that's never happened before mm-hmm. but so there, there's a there's the obstructions towards making these changes are mainly like ideological obstructions mm-hmm. um you know we we have come to believe that certain things are like inviolable and off limits uh like for instance you know the, the profit orientation of, of companies um, I thought you were gonna, I thought you were going down the P R O P H E T path. Which one? <laughs> I was thinking of profit. When you said profit, I was picturing oh, Jesus. Oh, right. no, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's just where my right. mind is. Well, anyway, so yeah, we we have an opportunity, you know, to rethink the direction of our society, and you know, it's not about um, kind of you know violence or aggression. It's simply about us- using our capacities, cognitive capacities and, and levels of awareness, you know, uh, to, to 
see if, 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 if we're able to bring about a kind of uh, transition to something that would actually work. As a representative of the millennial generation um, and just being who I am, while you were sharing those shocking statistics, I just noticed I just stopped breathing, Mm -hmm. kind of couldn't even comprehend how huge what you're saying is. Um, And and this change that you're talking about and the courage that it takes, I've been realizing more and more how courage comes in the smallest steps. The smallest movements are courageous, like when we feel like we're going to freeze. And I know a lot of a lot of young people is just too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. There's just too much. Like, what do we do about it? So it almost leads to feeling imprisoned by all of the choices, but not really being aware of what we can actually do. And on the one hand, you're talking about this like big systemic shift. On the other hand, it's these small, tiny changes. Um, and just like the when you're giving birth, I haven't experienced it yet, mm-hmm. oh, but I it's, tell those you what you six, <laughs> it's those six <laughs> inches that the baby has to come out. But those six, that tiny, those tiny six inches feel like so much, right? <laughs> I think it took Eleanor, it took her about 40 hours to travel those mm-hmm. six inches. <laughs> wow. No. So what are our six inches? You said we have to That's highlight. Really our <laughs> I love that we have a birth <laughs> metaphor happening. That's so great. We have to, we have to leverage our resources. We have to utilize our capacity. Yeah, I mean, we, what we, do we, we do? We actually know what a lot of the solutions would be technically. Mm-hmm. That's cool. pretty clear. Like, um, you know, obviously shifting to renewable energy, um, you know, we've looked at something called the Solutions Project, um, which has really put forth a plan for the U.S. that could become totally 100% renewable uh, mm-hmm. in terms of its energy use in about 30 years, 25 to 30 years, and, and even more accelerated, potentially. Um, agriculture, the shift from industrial agriculture back to ecological, organic agriculture would actually sequester a lot of the carbon in the atmosphere, like... Um, a lot of carbon uh, is thrown into the atmosphere by tilling. A lot of fossil fuels are used in industrial agricultural processes to, uh, as fertilizer for transport. If we relocalized food production, make it organic, it actually would have to become something that more of the human population is engaged in again. But that's kind of could be good because we're also seeing a lot of jobs don't really exist in the same way they used to. Like a lot of a lot of areas are seeing a lot of. Um, mechanization, you know, we, 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 we've almost got a, a large excess workforce on the planet right now, particularly among the young people. So if you look in Europe, like um, Spain and Italy have more than 50% uh, youth unemployment, uh, you know, so it's kind of a ridiculous situation because we have all these things that we know need to get done that nobody's talking about, whether it's shifting the agriculture to local gardening, permaculture, whether it's creating wilderness corridors, you know, volunteering to protect um, threatened species or, you know, kind of safeguard watersheds. I mean, there's all this tremendously valuable labor that people could be doing, creating more local communities and and so on. Uh, But we don't have the institutional structures that that allow for that at this point. And And in fact, the structures we have are actually working against the kind of progress that we need to see.
Uh, I was I was wanting you, Danielle, maybe to review, you know, Daniela, when you were talking about how overwhelming it can feel, like, you know, when you're presented with the facts, um, how, you know, the body wants to shut down, it feels, like it triggers fear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had an experience, uh, an experience of this in the first couple of conversations um, I had with Daniel, where he was really impressing upon me the urgency of the situation, and enlightening me to some of the facts I just didn't know um, about what's happening on the planet. And uh, you said to me, um, it's a quote about the dominant ideologies. When a disaster strikes, the the dominant ideologies that are in place are the ones that are used to rebuild. Well, okay, so that's yeah, that was from Milton Friedman. And it was from Naomi Klein's book, The Shock Doctrine, which is a pretty excellent book. And, you know, basically the neoliberal economists who had a whole ideology of privatizing, you know, public uh, common, you know, structures and, and giving it back to wealthy individuals and small companies, um, they recognized that there were going to be crises ahead. And so they planned, they sort of disseminated that ideology through think tanks and universities and so on. So when like the wall fell, the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, those economists went in there and were kind of working with, you know, the former Soviet Union to fast-track privatization. And yeah, Milton Friedman said that when a disaster happens, the ideas that get applied are the ones that are lying around, you know, when a crisis happens. Yeah, so we have a, you know, we're already in, you know, we can see that we're heading in a certain direction right now. So we have a few years where if we could disseminate Mm -hmm. these new Mm -hmm. good ideas, then when the crisis hits, it provides a really awesome direction for everybody to go. That, for me, that was such a catalyzing quote. And moment when you helped me see that because from that moment forward I realized that what I was doing you know was not necessarily saving the planet but changing evolving helping to evolve the ideas that are lying around so that when the disaster strikes there's a better set of ideas to work with yeah I mean um, you know we have no idea how things are gonna happen and things have a yeah. mysterious elegance of their own like nobody expected the berlin wall to come down in 1989 nobody expected occupy to suddenly emerge in 2011 mm-hmm. like within the shadow of the fallen towers you know and so on so there, there's a kind of yeah there's a kind of mysterious underground current that's happening mm-hmm. and all we can do is is you know try to isolate the best ideas what would be the best path forward the best the best potential for the future and then really try mm-hmm. to get those into the proper minds and, and hands, you know, so, and, and maybe even, yeah, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. Hearts and hearts. Yeah, yeah. And hearts. Feet. yeah. And I mean, guts. we can isolate those strategies and pinpoint, you know, what's working, the solutions projects of the world, yeah. um, the socially responsible companies that are doing kick-ass work. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, that's something we will do in Eva Leaps. That's kind yeah. of our guide. Our, our plan is to mm-hmm. reach out to the people who are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just want to add to that um, as well as, you know, one of the reasons why we did a really brief guided meditation in the beginning of this or we're integrating into our Evo Leap workshops with corporations an embodiment perspective, a um, creativity perspective, mm-hmm. uh, highlighting the intuition and mm-hmm. our internal resources so that we can stay adaptable and we can stay flexible and so that when the change comes, we can be prepared with our knees bent ready to respond and be response able, able to respond as needed. Because it's not going to be just a rational thinking process. Like when the earthquake, there was an example of um, 
an earthquake in where is it? Um, Nepal. Um, no, with elephants. I mean, it happens in animals in general. They they know before and they are move up the mountain away and they oh, pick up tsunami, the children. Oh yeah, you're right. It was a tsunami, tsunami yeah. reference. Wow. But just yeah, our our animal instinct, our yeah. nature, who we are at our core, on top of our rational kind of dissecting the intellect. So we hope to fuse all of these into what we're creating to help people progress and problem solve. Especially in corporations where it's so head focused. Yeah, absolutely. You're gonna move from the head to the heart in the corporation. And the gut and the feet. And the gut and the feet. Okay, <laughs> <even> So who will some of our guests be on future Evo Leap podcasts? So, yeah, we just had this incredible experience working with Facebook, which hopefully is going to lead to more um, efforts down the line. And, and through that process, we met a lot of great people, people from NGOs like Paul Hilder, who was one of the founders of Avaz, who now runs it here now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, our friend from the Rainforest Action Network, um, Brad. Brad and um, David. David Fenton, who uh, was the founder of Fenton Communications, who's now made his entire focus uh, climate change. Winona LaDuke. Yeah, of course. You want to talk about some of the other people yeah. that you think would be awesome? Uh, yeah. Winona LaDuke, who is a Native American um, environmentalist, activist. She came to the summit and brought the indigenous people's perspective and was just a total... Um, a breath of fresh air, I would say, um, for me. Um, who else? How about you, Daniel? I mean, we can also yeah. bring in people whose interests are more movement-related, body-oriented, somatic. Mm-hmm. We could bring in, you know, uh, Buddhist psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. You know, Joanna Macy might be very interesting mm-hmm. on kind of uh, ecological grief and, and, and the, the process mm-hmm. of... I'd love uh, to talk to Ryan Rising, too, about mm-hmm. permaculture. We had him at the Facebook meeting and um he works with the polish ambassador yeah mm. and we can also talk to some musicians and, and public artists potentially mm. you know. we can talk to various business leaders both in more conservative spheres and also more progressive um we can talk to philanthropists yeah. impact investors we can talk to millennials I mean, we're really open to creating a conversation, and as Daniel frames so eloquently, an ecosystem mm-hmm. whereby we yeah. can really catalyze this regenerative culture that we are talking about. But we do see business as being an engine of this and why we're interested in creating these experiences and creating these conversations to work in that sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> um, and yeah, and really thinking about it as a kind of uh, an adventure into the unknown because we mm-hmm. don't know what the end point will be, and and that's kind of exciting. You know, we don't, you know, we, yeah. we we're sort of intuiting um, the type of changes that needs to happen, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, mm-hmm. When there are new developments, you'll hear about it here first. Right, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And to be perfectly transparent, we're figuring out what's going on after our incredibly potent experience at Facebook 
Now, seeing how we can catalyze and fuse forces with some incredible people and organizations and how to really create um, this ecosystem or this campaign or this coalition to accelerate change. So we're going to keep this podcast as a platform for transparency. Yeah, and we'll be interested also in our audience's uh, community perspective and, and what, what direction to go into. On that note, do we have a call to action for our evolving EvoLeap community members? I have one thought. Um, this is totally unpremeditated thought. This is spontaneous. Um, but one thing that I've been thinking a lot about coming out of the Facebook Summit is climate change just generally and I'm very curious about I've been trying in my own life to have a lot of conversations with people on the topic um moms millennials and I'm interested in whether people are talking about this just in their daily lives um how you're talking about it what's preventing conversations from happening if they aren't happening um, what are some of the best conversations you've had? And like, what is the general sentiment or feeling around what's happening on the planet from an ecological perspective? And how does it how is it currently infiltrating our daily lives or not? I mean, one thing I've noticed is that when I bring it up, there's often a huge sigh of relief or even a sense of gratitude on the part of the person who I bring it up with where they want to be talking about it, but they don't often get a chance. Or and, al and also surprise, I talked to an entrepreneur the other day who has a business, he's just started a business to lease baby um, equipment, and he was telling me how, um, how it makes so much sense economically. His whole argument was about the economy of it. And I said, well, from an environmental perspective, too, like, there's nothing worse than buying a new stroller. And he said, oh, Thank you for saying that. It's so funny. No one ever says that. Personally, that's one of the reasons I started this company. But I was advised to talk about the economic perspective and not the ecological perspective. And he was really happy to have, you know, to have to engage in that conversation. So I'm really curious. I'd love to know how you're talking about it. Or if you're not, why not? And the best way to reach out and share your thoughts would be to email? Yeah, we haven't really thought about that yet. We could create an Evo Leap podcast uh, email or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just edit right through Thank that. We'll be like, the best way to be will be... So, <laughs> Are, is Evo Leap designing these uh, workshops for corporations around creating a regenerative culture? But as well, Evo Leap will be designing mini, we don't want to call them focus groups. I call them discussion groups. Mini discussion groups that have a lot of fun interwoven in the discussion. Yeah. Um, so at these accubation, these smaller accubation hubs that we would invite you to be you part of as well. I know. Ac accubation. <laughs> Activation. I but know. I, I like thought it was a word I didn't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> we love calling each other out and <laughs> Especially editing each other's speech. <laughs> just don't nail my head to the wall. We don't want to button up. We don't want to close ourselves off. No, there's no closing off. Right, but I think 
you know, and, and it's a, I mean, I have to temper my own tendencies to want to uh, almost enjoy sometimes um, creating a little bit of chaos. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Daniel. so you're aware that you're doing that. I see. <laughs> Daniel is great at creating chaos in unlikely places. Oh, God, that's such a great... And the chaos is necessary in all mm. theories of change. Chaos is the inevitable, and it is necessary. about our call to action? No. no. I, I gotta think about that one. Mm. I think we can <laughs> listen to us next week? <laughs> or or yeah. whatever, next episode? I mean, I, I would think my call to action would be my call to action yeah, would be to challenge people to um, kind of read through the works of some of the most important people who've been Beautiful. thinking about this stuff, like Bill McKibben, or we just discovered David Roberts, right? If you go into Grist and you read 10 of his articles, it'll take you two hours. He gives you a pretty panoramic view of what's happening and why progress is so stalled. Or Naomi Klein wrote mm-hmm. this massive book, This Changes Everything. Probably David Roberts' work on Grist is the most quick way to get the full overview. He also um, has videos, and, some great video. Yeah, I would see that. Yeah. Uh, and then think about what you would want to change in your own life and what you know what what your level of, of responsibility feels like you know not just to your immediate community but to future just you know generations and so on because that's really what it's going to take we're going to have to be thinking um in those terms and you know maybe actually giving up some of the comforts and privileges i people hate when i mention this it's so interesting that, that not we, all people i'm so accustomed to we're ready to just well, throw it all but, out but you know we're, we're also you know the three of us here let's face it we're all the beneficiaries of, of a tremendously comfortable situation like yeah. we can fly anywhere we want we can eat anywhere we can take an uber anywhere yeah like we're we're the you know and, and meanwhile mm-hmm. you know there's billions of people around the world who are living on you know a dollar or two per day and don't have those opportunities and um, you know, there are things that are very tough about this whole situation. I mean, I, I visited, um, to go off on another little bit of a tangent, Global Citizen as uh, an NGO that, I mean, there seems to be something developing, which some people would call like a charity industrial complex, where hmm. NGOs are developing that sort of fit into the whole nece- necessary ecosystem of corporations and philanthropists and so on, and everybody makes a good living, you know, in the NGOs, and mm-hmm. um, money is siphoned out mm-hmm. from the corporations through foundations or from wealthy ph- individuals. And then, you know, because their whole focus is ending extreme poverty, but then I had a long talk with the person there, one of the people there, and, and, I, and I asked, how are you looking at extreme poverty? What are the solutions? And she said, well, it's aid, trade, and good governance. And I was like, oh, well, so you're not actually thinking about the necessity to reduce inequality of wealth and privilege. Um, you know, no, that's not on their agenda. Like, actually, um, you know, kind of excessive um, wealth inequality is, is just not something that they see as necessary to talk about when you're talking about extreme poverty. So that's, you know, for me, was an, a good example of, of the kind of situation we get in uh, right I now. I think that's so important to point out. I had a similar experience with some friends who one night, just in conversation, were lauding another friend who is a, a banker, has made a, an incredible amount of money, and they were talking about how wonderful he is. He's a great person, but the what they were lauding was how much money he gives to education, 
and to charity. And while I appreciate that, I also couldn't believe that these friends of mine couldn't see that the system he's a part of at the highest level is in part responsible. Like, it just perpetuates this cycle. There was a statistic floating around Facebook yesterday that, like, the 25 top hedge fund managers make more money than the 158,000 kindergarten teachers in the U.S., and it was by a lot. Like, they make 11-plus billion dollars a year compared to 8 billion for the kindergarten teachers. So, yeah, I mean, in in that way, we can see it's, it's a, you know, out-of-whack system, and there's not even, like, good forums where you can talk about this stuff, like the intersection of the ecological and the social justice issues and everything. Also, even the issues become surprising. Everybody has an issue or a cause or, or, or climate you know, thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. So reframing uh, the situation, uh, hopefully something we can, we can explore um, in, in this podcast. personal fear, but I've kind of gotten over it, is that, you know, by the more that I talk about this stuff, the more likely I am to get ostracized from every single mm-hmm. group that uh, I would <laughs> want to participate in. But, yeah. you know, may, maybe that's maybe that's just a transitional thing to the realization that, you know, we do need to be open to talking about stuff that we haven't been able to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that takes courage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or insanity. <laughs> <laughs> or boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much more interesting would life be if we could actually become as authentic about all this stuff as we need to I be? Mean, I you know, just clear the decks, just get it out there. You I know? totally agree. And yeah. in fact, that's like kind of in a, on a very mm-hmm. mini level. That's what I'm working on constantly. Like even in the meeting we just came from, I just I have these impulses sometimes to be more authentic or to communicate in a way that might be a little crazy seeming or mm-hmm. whatever you know whatever's happening for me. And I'm just exploring that moment by moment, and mm-hmm. I'm really grateful uh, to you guys and to this whole community. I hope this can be a place where we can explore that mm-hmm. that spontaneous, authentic communication too. Yeah, I think a lot of people in these echelons of power are are they're very rigid and they're very scared of mm-hmm. uh, something that breaks the the, the discourses that they've that they've, they've been constructed very cunningly, which, mm-hmm. which you know maybe aren't really going to do do the job of, you know, ending extreme poverty or yeah. dealing with the ecological crisis. It, it, it may take a willingness to pry, pry it all apart again, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the spirit of authenticity right now, I mean, I feel quite heavy and and sad and angry simultaneously, and we don't talk about our emotions, our emotions are seen as negative. You know, there's certain, for men in particular, expressing expressing sadness is not okay. Or for women, expressing anger has been taught that it's not okay. But we need to cultivate and leverage those, the, the energy of these emotions, like the, the, how anger actually fuels us to take action and defend what we love. And sadness connects to uh, connects us to our feeling and our humanity. Yeah, we we live in a very conscripted culture that mm-hmm. has kind of um, really somehow it's not like legislated that way, but there's a suppression of mm-hmm. uh, you know authentic emotional expression and authentic communication. Mm-hmm. It's seen as too much or or too too out there, you know. So 
Um, I guess we should say those of us in the West. Those, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, exactly. I'm, talking, I'm, I'm sort of talking about our, the context that we're, the, yeah, yeah. that we're in right now. I mean, yeah, you could go to Amazonian yeah. tribes and find a different situation. Well, I just bring that up because I find that inspiring, that it is possible to live in perfectly, beautifully healthy communities where it's not the case that we have to hide our emotions from each other. It's, it's absolutely possible. Thank you for joining us on our first Evo Leap podcast. Just to close us out now, since We've been talking about courage and what it takes to really create change in our lives and our business, these micro changes mm. right, that lead to huge behavioral shifts. We're going to try together an experience of the mudra of courage. So what you do is put your thumbs inside your fists and then cross your arms in front of your chest, so your fists are right beneath your collarbones. So your arms are crossed in front of your chest, your thumbs are tucked into your fists, and your fists are right under your collarbones, and you're just sitting up. And you just take a deep breath into that. This is the mudra of courage, the position of courage. And call upon courage to support us. Take some deep breaths into that. And your feet on the ground, feeling your face just relax. A lot of these conversations around climate and what's going on can feel really overwhelming, feel like our head is going to explode. But our body can hold multiple processes at once, so we can return to our bodies and present to find more peace of mind and courage. We love you, Evo Leap Podcast community. Thank you for joining us. May you be courageous one tiny step at a time. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Evo Leap. If you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions, please email us at hello at evoleappodcast.com. Special thanks to Mike Canzaniero from Pro Media in Midtown Manhattan, where this episode was recorded. Hosts include Daniel Pinchbeck, Daniela Platner, and myself, Skylar Brown. All musical interludes were created by Jacob Schaefer. Outro music was performed by Alex Kennedy, who is also our producer and editor. Visit us online at evoleappodcast.com and stay tuned for episode two.